Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, watch episodes on our YouTube channel, and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I'm going to take you to a conversation that Pastor Jay Duncan, the pastor of New Life Midtown, and I had with Chuck DeGroat, the author of When Narcissism comes to the church. He's a professor of pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary and a licensed therapist. And this uh, topic has been uh, a hot topic in society and in the church at large over the last bunch of years. And Chuck's book is a really beautiful look at what narcissism is, how it happens in our church structures, and what we can do to heal ourselves and our communities from its toxic effects. This is part one of our interview that we have with Chuck. Look for part two next week. And so without further commentary from me, here's to the conversation. Well, we're really happy today to uh, welcome our friend Chuck DeGroat uh, to the podcast. Chuck, for those of you who don't know, is a professor of counseling and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. Uh, He's a licensed therapist who, after pastoring for a number of years, uh, transitioned into training clergy in issues of abuse and trauma, uh, conducting pastor and church planter assessments, consulting with churches, and then helping with investigations of abuse among pastors and within congregations. And he's the author of this book, which I read late last year, and it blew me away. I think it's a timely book, an important one uh, for us to be talking about now. It's When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. And narcissism has been a very prevalent topic of late in the church, and Chuck has done a fantastic job just kind of laying out how what he understands narcissism to be, how he sees it functioning in the church, and then also what we can do to heal ourselves and our community from it. So Chuck, we're really happy to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. Well, before we get into the context or the content of the book, I would love it if you just give us some narrative context. Uh, for it. So we said off camera just a second ago, I think a lot of times it's not so much the author that chooses the topic, but the topic kind of chooses them. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking for a couple minutes about what got you writing this in the first place. Are you calling me a narcissist? It chose me? (laughs) (laughs) What? Where is this going? We just started, you guys. We're off on the wrong foot, aren't we? For the record, I don't think Chuck is a narcissist, although also (laughs) for the record, I mean, we haven't known each other all that long, so depending on what comes out in this. Yeah, (laughs) to be determined. (laughs) That's right. Well, I'll tell you this. I I never dreamed that I'd write a book on this topic, Um, and I'd I'd written something that was really near and dear to my heart, a book called Wholeheartedness, Uh, and and I kind of thought, this is... This is where I'll spend my time. I was leading retreats on that kind of stuff, but really, what this came out of was I was doing a I was doing some uh, consulting, investigating for a large mega church, and uh, I in that process, the pastoral staff they were looking for resources on this topic on narcissism, abuse, and and the like, 
And uh, over the course of the six months, uh, I, I was helping them. Obviously, they found my help um, valuable. And at the end of our time together, they said, you ought to write about this. Mm. Um, write something accessible. Write something for pastors, for the church, in language that people can understand. And I said, no way. I don't mm. want to do that. Mm. Not interested. Uh, but uh, I, through a series of events, I ended up pitching it to a couple of publishers. Uh, IVP was very interested in the topic, and uh, I was off to the races. And so it turns out people were way more interested in this topic than they were in wholeheartedness or anything yeah. else I'd ever written, right? And uh, especially when it came out about three years ago, there were several other books uh, that were written on a similar topic. You've probably seen some of them out there. And then uh, some podcasts, and 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 it seems like now over the last three years, a lot of people are talking about this topic. Yeah, what's the reception to the book been like? You know, I would say ninety percent positive. There are always some who will push back on uh, you. You over psychologize these mm -hmm. things. You don't talk mm -hmm. about sin enough, mm -hmm. um, or um, you're just anti-pastors and anti-church, which is tough for me because I, you know, I was a pastor in Orlando. I was a pastor yeah. in San Francisco. Um, I, I still in many ways consider myself a pastor. Uh, and, and I tried to, to look at this from a very hopeful perspective too, yeah. but you know, I would say by and large, the reception has been very positive. Yeah, that's great. Well, you have uh, you have some hard things to say for pastors, but uh, I'll just say also for the record that I read it and I'm a pastor and I don't think that you are anti-pastor at all. So Agreed. But let's start here, Chuck. Um, thanks for providing a little context. So narcissism, yeah. the language of it is now so deeply in the water supply that I just is my perspective. I think that we're kind of in a place where we're in danger of like if everything is narcissism, none, none nothing is narcissism. Yeah. And so you just hear this more and more from people, you know, like, well, I couldn't work for that person anymore because he's a narcissist. Well, I can't stay yeah. in my marriage anymore because that's a narcissist. And it's a little yeah. bit like, well, are you sure about that? So yeah. you would be a good person to help us here. Can you just define narcissism for us and talk some about where it comes from? Yeah, so I think you you raise an important point, and it's one of the reasons I wrote it, um, because I was hearing the very same thing. Uh, all church planters are narcissists, things like that, right? And I, I've been doing church planter assessments and pastoral assessments for 15 years, and that's not what my uh, data was showing, so mm -hmm. to speak, right? Now, I, I, um, I, I used some testing that has proven to be very valuable that taught me that narcissism is on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are a number of pastors on a narcissistic spectrum or one of the close cousins of narcissism out there, like histrionic personality. But but that you're on a spectrum doesn't mean that you're mm -hmm. diagnosably narcissistic personality disorder, mm -hmm. right? And, and you might even say that um, a, a bit of narcissism, or at least in the way it shows up in certain pastors or church planters, um, might actually be helpful. And that that could be in and of itself a controversial statement, right? Mm. But when we're talking about narcissistic personality disorder, like the 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 psychological definition gets at things like grandiosity, mm -hmm. entitlement, attention-seeking, uh, low empathy, which is a really yep. important one that yep. people don't often talk about. The fact that there's not really a capacity to empathize with others. And then some kind of relational and vocational disruption. Like generally, if you're a narcissistic leader, there is uh, there's some disruption. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've we could talk about this more if you want to. I've expanded that. I I don't think that DSM five definition mm-hmm. um, gets it the the different faces of narcissism that I elaborate in and through the Enneagram. Um, but what I'd say about just just to get to some of the roots of narcissism quickly. Uh, oftentimes people say that narcissism uh, s- sort of emerges out of self-love or pride mm-hmm. or arrogance as if we're sort of born that way or our parents are, you know, too too positive, too nice to us. And what we found, what psychologists have found, is that narcissism really is born out of self-contempt. Yep. Well, well these are folks who uh, at, at some level hate themselves mm. and are compensating with a defensive uh, part of them, this grandiose part of them, this kind of narcissistic part of them that has has learned to kind of live life um, shielded and defended as if behind um, some sort of castle wall, you know, throwing bombs over the wall. And, it, and it's really because there's a kind of yep. fragile interior. Yep. And so when wow. I do this work and I really get to that interior, w- what I find is shame and self-contempt and um, worthlessness, not superiority, not, uh, not self-love. And so that's a really interesting point that we can tease out if you want to also. Well, and it's also profoundly connected to the lack of empathy. Can you tease that out yeah. some for our listeners here? So that self-contempt at the core yeah. of a person's personality, mm-hmm. how is it that that cripples empathy? Yes. Yeah, so in a sense, I think the, the uh, lack of empathy for themselves come first, right? right. And so there's a sense in which... Um, uh, uh, they they grew up in a context like let me give you a quick example um, without putting a name or I, I conflate stories so if someone's listening and says he's telling my story I, I'm not telling someone's story right. but an example of a pastor who was sexually abused when he was um, very young and uh, grew up in a family where where there was um, some neglect and, uh, and 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 basically just sort of had a um, had a sense of worthlessness mm. that uh, by late middle school, early high school, um, uh, was mitigated by, uh, I've got some talent in basketball. I'm a good athlete. Um, people kind of like me on the court. I'm a good scorer. And so he sort of develops this identity as, as the jock, as the guy who's kind of put together, he's got mm. some skills, and that works for him. Um, finds himself a number of years later in seminary. Um, people like like him. He's talented. He's charismatic. Uh, is winsome. He's a good communicator. Um, they're willing to put money behind a church plant when he graduates. Um, but but in the meantime, he's never really looked at some of that underlying stuff, right? And so mm-hmm. now now he's forty, and now people are coming to him and saying, "You're a bully. You're a narcissist. Uh, you're hurting us." And sits down with someone like me, and we we begin to tease these things out. And it's like underneath that, there's this sense of, well, the reality is, is I'm worthless. Mm, Um, I'm terrible. I don't think anyone's ever loved me. I've had to go out and get the love that I need um, in all kinds of different ways. Mm. And so, I I mean, um, it's a complicated dynamic, right? Because some some will say, well, narcissists are just evil through Mm. and through. They're born evil, and they're... And mm-hmm. I, I really think that there's there there are stories behind um, every narcissistic leader. Mm. Chuck, you had mentioned there are ways in which there are certain kinds of narcissism that can actually be helpful or positive, mm. which I had never yeah. heard before. I mean, when you hear the word narcissism, you immediately yeah. think that's bad. But in your book, you tease out a little bit the fact that there's actually positive aspects of mm. narcissism. Can we talk about that? 
Yeah, so I mean, this is really, uh, this goes back to your earliest years, right? Where, you know, when mom and dad say, if you guys have kids, you know this, mm-hmm. um, you got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, that's great, you're the best fill-in-the-blank ever, you know, there's a sense of, you know, when you're two or three years old, um, five years old, there's a sense, if if you're well-loved, that, um, that, that you're, um, you know, that you're really good at what you do. Yep. And um, and that mom and dad adore you. Um, that's the healthy sense of narcissism. Now, here's the problem: at five years old, that's great. At forty-five years old, that's a problem. Yep. You know, and if at forty-five years old, it's like everyone adores me, and I need. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and that, that's the problem. Is I think the, here's where where um, where it's really important to look at the kind of traumatic roots of narcissism. Because mm. if you're well-loved, you're not gonna go looking for it later. Right. Um, if you're well-loved, there there's gonna be this basic sense of security, and there isn't gonna be, be a need for this sort of defensive, uh, narcissistic sort of exterior, right? Or, or um, defense mechanism that narcissism ends up becoming. Um, and, and you're simply going to live your life with a, a basic sense of security. And if you're winsome and you're a good communicator, and by the way, I know a lot of church planters who are winsome, good communicators, oh. inspiring, wooing, and they're not narcissistic at all. <laughs> right. They were just well-loved, yeah. you know? Wow. Yeah, that's and the so, gift of God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so so uh, when we talk about narcissism, it's really rooted in, in trauma, and there, there really is a sense of... Um, what I'll what I'll see when I'm doing this work, and I'm like looking over at my couch right now, where I do five day counseling intensives, and men, mostly men, come into my office, and we sit here, and on like day three or four of a counseling intensive, he'll say to me, "I don't think that I've ever had a friend. Whoa, I've always been alone. Whoa, um, I've always felt so scared. I don't think I've ever belonged. Yeah, and I mean, he might have an entourage around him. I mean, I've I've seen these guys with like literally with entourages around them saying. I've never had a friend. And so there's a profound sense of shame and loneliness and disconnection. Okay. I want to come back to, in a little bit, I I love what you're saying about narcissism being connected to trauma, because there is some conversation out there about like, is this genetically passed on? In other words, are some people in society just basically predisposed to this particular kind of sociopathological condition? You're saying... Something happens to you that isn't dealt with in the right way. And I yeah. think if that's true, that means that there's hope for healing that's greater yeah. than, than if this is a genetic thing. So we'll come back to that towards yeah, the end. Sure. But I want to ask you, I think one of the things that just stunned me reading your book is that you said in all the years that you've done uh, assessments for church planters, coaching of pastors, therapy for pastors, you yeah. find a higher preponderance of narcissists among this population group than, as I understand it, any other population group you've ever worked with. Yeah. Can you talk about why that is? Yeah. What is it about our church structure system culture is both drawing narcissists and in a lot of ways cultivating narcissists? And planters seem to be a little bit higher than even pastors, Mm -hmm. as I understand that. Mm -hmm. And planters... Planters are higher, like more prone. Yeah, well, so... um, so I, th- this is largely based on my work over the years, and, and one of the things that I think I'm cognizant of is there needs to be a lot more research on this, and yeah. really good research on this. But um, 
these, this, this is sort of what I found, right? So now there are three clusters of personality disorders and narcissism is within cluster B, which is more your dramatic personality. Cluster A is more like eccentric personality and cluster C is more like avoidant personality or dependent. Mm. And, and, and your eccentric and your kind of avoidant people generally don't go into ministry. You know, some eccentric. You guys are a little eccentric. But, um, <laughs> Which but, cluster yeah. are you part of right now? That's, <laughs> I'm what, I'm, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> um, but, you know, in your, in your kind of cluster B, um, they, they, they're performative. They love the stage, you know. And you sort of you combine that with I can get on stage and I can, you know, I, I can say this is the word of God. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an there's an interesting sort of cocktail there that I find to be really important when looking at this, and and then it, if you, you know, we we could probably talk do, dedicate a whole podcast to sort of the sociology of of the church over the last thirty years, but I I sort of came up in the rise of of um, of church planting and particularly city church planting. Um, I that's why I was out in San Francisco, uh, a church that was sort of uh, formed um, in the image of Redeemer in Manhattan, wow. in a denomination that was the fastest growing church planting denomination in the United States. And there was a kind of um, formula, for mm. lack of a better way. And, and you guys have probably seen this in the last probably 20, 30 years. There is a kind of church planting formula. Um, you'll generally find it in more white spaces, what kind of white male spaces, you know, um, among particular demographics. But there is this sort of plug and play. This is the kind of personality. Yeah. Having been a part of assessments, this is the kind of person that we're looking for. Um, and uh, it really is sort of a scripted way of, of this is the kind of church, this is the kind of personality, and this is the recipe. Mm. And I think what's happening now is, is you know, is what I'm hearing from church planning assessors, for instance, is they're coming to me and they're saying, we're stepping back and we're taking a look at that recipe and there are major problems. Wow. Um, and so, and, and there are a number of different, uh, the good news is there are a number of different networks and denominations completely rethinking assessment, yeah. um, completely rethinking some of the assumptions that went into, here, here's what makes a really good church planter. Here's what, um, here are the ingredients of a good church plant, right? right. Here are the expectations of growth. Yep. Um, here are the numbers, the metrics that you need to hit. There, I mean, there are a number of really good folks, mm. including folks of color, who are looking at this and, you know, kind of standing back and saying, we need to rethink this from yeah. the ground mm. up. If the core wound is like, I'm not loved, I'm not worthy, it stands to reason then that these people are going to go out and they're going to seek a platform. What is it but a way to heal that inner wound somehow? So how did you just say that in like one line way better than I did in about a five minute? Like that, I'm yeah. on this side of the microphone, so I get to listen and digest and kind of give it yeah, back. It's it. a really, truly I unfair advantage. Just, <laughs> I think that's it. I think you just named it and summed it up really beautifully. Okay. All right. Here's a question for you, um, just to get into, because I know, I know Jay does as well, you do, so many people who have been wounded by genuine narcissists, um, and the really unfortunate thing about it is that usually we wake up to it too late, mm. and so it's not until we've been really wounded, we've got our mind just kind of wrapped around the axle, we've been gaslit in some way, all of a sudden we go, yeah. oh crud, you know, this has happened to me. So I wonder if you can talk about uh, early warning signs that you might be in the orb- orbit of a narcissist? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I think the earliest warning sign is your gut. Mm. 
And what I mean by that is um, most people don't have uh, – they, they don't have the categories that maybe I spell out in the book or Wade Mullen spells out in his really wonderful book, Something's Not Right, or some of the others out there. They don't really have those categories. They're not really looking for, you know, the characteristics of, let's say, the narcissistic pastor. What they have is a stirring in their gut that yeah. says something feels off. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were in that meeting, he sort of, he dressed me down. And, you know, I when, when he's around this group of people or when he's on stage, he appears so humble. Yeah. But... In the meeting, boy, uh, I just walked away feeling humiliated. That's general, generally where it begins. And um, I can't tell you how many people have ignored their gut. I mean, I've worked in any number mm. of different situations across the United States, even internationally, right, where people will say, I had that initial gut feeling 12 years ago, wow. 10 years ago, eight years ago, and I pushed it down and I ignored it. And... Um, I thought it was just me because he's great. Everyone loves him. Um, and there is within narcissistic systems some sense of loyalty. Like, you, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you can't turn on, you can't question the narcissistic pastor. Or the, you can't question the leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, to me, that's where it begins. We could talk more about what where it continues, but that's where it begins. Can we talk more about those characteristics of narcissistic cultures that maybe propagate a form of narcissism, un- unaware. So you mentioned, oh, we can't question the leader. What are, if you just rattle off about mm. four or five other one of those. Mm. Yeah, well, generally in systems like that, you've got a leader who who needs to be large and in charge. Like um, there's a sense in which he's, uh, uh, you'll, you'll begin to tease out that he's he's sort of protecting his his space. He's protecting his, spa- his power at all costs. Mm. Um and so there's a there's kind of a sensitivity there that if you would sort of intrude on his territory of wow. power, you question him, um, you're going to get the snapback. You know, um, uh, these are leaders who will sort of bully if they need to. Like they'll they'll look uh, they'll look pretty humble or curious. You know, in in one context, um, but uh, as I said a moment ago, they'll dress you down if they need to. Um, there's a sense of entitlement to success. There's sort of a sense of like, listen, I, um, uh, I've worked really hard. Uh, I've had backers behind me. Um, who are you to come in wow. and question me? Um, I, I'm entitled to this, right? Um, within, within the system, this is an interesting one to me. He, like he's the only one that's allowed to change his mind um, or being consistent or being impulsive. Like, let me, Mm. let me give you a quick example of this. Like if you come in and say, we're not going to be able to execute your plan for the sermon series, that that's going to be a real problem. But if he comes in three hours before a Sunday morning service and says, I'm going to redo everything and, uh, we're going to do different songs and we're going to have different slides. That's okay. Mm. So he can be the disruptor, but you're not allowed to. Um, and, um, and I, I think one of the other things that I've noted, and this I don't know that this is new to me. Um, this is a word that's out there, but I've certainly tried to um, put words around it. Uh, he tends to be more f- vulnerable than vulnerable, like F A U S vulnerability, right? And so there's a sense in which he's um, there. People will say, but he's so humble, he's so transparent. He talks about his life, he talks about his marriage, but it's in service of, of sort of drawing you in wow. and winning you over. Um, but the reality is, is, is that doesn't lead to um, a true acknowledgement of his sin 
or a real sense of repentance or grief over how he's hurt you. It's in service of an image. It's in service of a where a where this kind of church or that kind of church. We're a church that yeah. people get counseling or whatever it might be. I mean, the, I'm just kind of rattling That's those. Well, he's using the the vulnerability. I love that you call That's it right. vulnerability because it's not. It's, yeah. it's a facsimile of the real thing. But what he's doing is he's using the vulnerability to try to recruit you to his cause and draw you into his orbit. And it's not genuinely mutual. So that's why it can't be true vulnerability. That's not a, that's it's right. not a two-way street. You've been yeah. recruited. He's gained all of the power from you. You haven't gotten any yeah. power from him. Right. So there's, right? I mean, there's, no, there's right. no mutuality in the relationship. There's no mutuality. There's no room for feedback. Yep. I mean, you, you will, you're subject to criticism and feedback, but somehow he's earned the right to not receive feedback. He's impervious yep. to feedback. And the reality is, is that where, where, um, and this isn't helpful when you're in it, because when you're in it, it's just really, really painful. But, right. you know, if you get some distance, you realize he can't receive feedback yep. mm. because his deepest narrative about his himself is I'm a phony, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I'm bad. Um, there's something wrong with me. And so, because secure people are willing to say, well, how can I, what do I need to do to change? Mm -hmm. You know, um, give me feedback about how I'm showing up and um, let me metabolize that so I can be a better leader. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these are folks who are just not willing to, to receive that. I'm trying to, I'm thinking of somebody else I read recently that said that narcissism is really in, uh, it's, an in, a, in an, it's an inappropriate way of metabolizing shame. That's it. So yep. we run away and we metabolize shame in non-relational ways. But yeah. if we can metabolize our embarrassment at our actions or yeah. our failure to live up to a certain standard in relational ways, that actually yeah. makes it so that we're a non-narcissistic personality. Is that something that you'd agree yeah. with? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's all over the literature on shame. Okay. If you don't metabolize your shame, you will end up uh, with some sort of it might not be the narcissism defense mechanism, right? It'll, but it, there'll be some way of protecting yourself that yep. will be harmful to you and harmful yep. to others, right? Yep. Yep. And so, and so the work is to metabolize that shame. Well, that requires that you go back into your story, you go back into your narrative, mm -hmm. you go back into those. And my experience in doing this is not many want to do that, right. and they will. They're much happier, as we've seen in any number of public examples, doubling down rather than saying, you know, I've got a lot to learn. I'm going to take the next decade off from ministry. Yep. And uh, as one guy did who I worked with years and years ago, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm just going to get out of ministry. And I remember he contacted me about uh, eight years later and he said, Chuck, I'm thinking about getting back into ministry. And I, I got a little nervous and he said to me, yeah, I'm just going to clean toilets for a while in churches. And mm -hmm. Um, it was really beautiful, actually. There's a, a beautiful story behind it, but his his path back into ministry was really a path of humility yeah. because of the work he did, not a path of doubling down. So.